Welcome to Unique Careers, Unique Lives. This is a show, and I'm on a quest. A quest to find how people get unstuck and create unique careers, unique lives. Every week, I interview a guest to find their answer. Will you join me? Let's begin. I am so excited. I have a wonderful guest today in this podcast. It's Mirella De Civita, or better called Dr. Mirella De Civita. Mirella is founder of two companies, Propion MDC, a management consulting firm, and also Grant Heron International, an e-commerce coaching firm. She has a PhD in psychology and postdoctoral fellowship in behavioral medicine. She's a licensed clinical psychologist, a professional certified coach, a master corporate executive coach, and a certified mentor coach. I got the luck to meet her through a mentor coach program. I told her about this podcast and what my mission was, and she was so generous to accept to come on the podcast. In this episode, you will hear us talk about how she chose her career, what changes she went through, and how she approaches to the concept of getting stuck and getting unstuck. I hope you enjoyed this episode and talk to you at the end. So I want to first of all thank you for um, accepting my invitation for joining oh, the it's podcast. Such a pleasure. I was wondering actually I find it very generous of you. First of all, you are managing two businesses and you were so generous to take my call, first of all, to give me your opinion about a program you had finished. And from yeah. there, you also took on my uh, other offer to, <laughs> to join me in the podcast. And I'm wondering, because there is a stereotype of business owners, uh, busy business owners being really busy and not having time for other things. And here you are uh, creating time for me, someone that you have just met. So what values do you have that give us this chance to feel your generosity? How, how do you manage your life? How, how are you like this? <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love that question. And, and, and how, how can I say no? First and foremost, I would never decline. Uh, the only thing we do have control over is our time. And I am a fundamental believer that it is the last, I think, you know, our last human freedom to go is our ability to choose where we are going to spend our time. And, you know, spending time with someone that I, I had the pleasure of meeting the last time and certainly through this time together, I'm going to get to know you better is such a gift. Um, and so if I could contribute in any way to your vision, I'd be more than happy to do so. So I'm actually very happy to be here. Thank you very much. So uh, I think what we have discussed last time is that you were curious about what I was doing and what my podcast was about. And uh, I told you that I see lots of people getting stuck and having chosen careers that weren't actually serving their needs or were not aligned with who they are. 
and they still keep on pursuing the same paths and feel stuck and don't do anything differently. So my vision with this podcast was to bring people on board who have taken steps and who have changed their lives and got unstuck. And you told me that you actually have a story to tell. So I'm curious, you told me very interesting bits, kind of teasers, <laughs> but I don't want to tell here <laughs> uh, what, what is known for me and probably for all the people who would look you up online is that you are um, a certified therapist, a coach, leadership coach, uh, you have two businesses, um, you have uh, written a book. And you are writing the second one, I think. I don't know. People would see that online, though. Probably not. <laughs> I'm sorry. I ruined the surprise. <laughs> That's okay. No, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's wonderful. So this is what they would probably find out about you. And now I'm curious what brought you to this career that we know what interesting steps have you uh, passed through in your life that you also told me actually I have a story to tell mm, yeah you know if, if I can just step back for a moment and this is so wonderful because we're going to be able to unpack and pack how people get stuck and how they in fact can get unstuck but if I can step out of you know our conversation and just take it a little bit more potentially more societally based I wish, I wish that all children as early as possible learn how to be flexible, you know, how to be flexible in, in even insofar as the choices that they make, you know, very early on in elementary school, I, I still remember being offered choices um, insofar as where I wanted to uh, spend my time in recess and in lunchtime. And I still remember some children feeling as though, um, they didn't have choices, you know, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go and eat and then I'll go and play outside. And, and teachers would often say, okay, fair enough. Whereas I was always that child that said, do I have other choices? You know, and then I remember one, uh, one time and I was probably in grade three. I don't know. How old are you in grade three? Nine, I think nine. And, and, you know, she offered the same choices like she offered all the other kids, you know, uh, you know, she said to me, Marilla, it's lunchtime and I guess you are going to head down to eat and then you'll go out for recess. And while all the kids were going, yes, yes, yes. I said, no, I want to do something else. And, and I remember my teacher's face looking at me saying, what else do you want to do? I said, well, I want to go over to the, you know, to the art room because it's Easter time and I want to do baskets for everyone. And, and, you know, she found that to be quite interesting and obviously she didn't say no. And so when I look back at that experience, and then obviously that, that allowed me to go and grab more friends to come into the art room and do Easter baskets for children. I remember my, my dad used to give me you know quarters, 25 cents to buy a candy. And I, I remember having saved up for a week of these quarters so that I can buy lots of candies and fill up these Easter baskets to give to my, 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 you know, my, my school, my, the, the classroom. And, and it wasn't, it didn't take long for more kids to come into the art room and start making these baskets with me, right? And then we would pool all our money together and, you know, one of us would head out after school to grab the candies and bring it back the next day and so forth. So I, I think back at that time and I, I wonder what would happen if we were all to start teaching children that they can make choices and there is a lot more choices than just 
one or two, right? There's a third, there's a fourth, there's a fifth. And I guess I've always kind of guided my life in that way, that there's always a second, there's also third, fourth, and fifth choice. Um, and so when you shared with me, you know, the whole notion that your podcast is about how people do stay stuck, my, you know, humble uh, experience tells me that they often get stuck because they only see two choices. And the two choices that they see are often choices that have been formed by their own, whether it be upbringing, educational choices, or for that matter, even um, uh, cultural environments and where they find themselves, including corporate cultures, right? I fundamentally feel that there's always a third, a fourth choice. Mm -hmm. And if people were taught to allow their imaginations to guide them more, um, as opposed to being afraid of those third or four choices, we'd probably have a society that would be more inclined to getting unstuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering, it feels like from the beginning on you were curious and you were looking for different alternatives. So, right. Well, some of us were maybe like this, some of us were maybe different. I don't know what gives this uh, character to a child. Can you trace back to your childhood how you became that child back then? You know, I, 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 it's so difficult even to know because as a, as a clinical psychologist, having spent so many years um, studying psychopathology and therefore understanding normative development as well as deviant development and what are the developmental arrests that can indeed place someone off course potentially to where they may have ended. And, and then again, you know, even in uh, developmental psychopathology, as well as developmental psychology, um, you quickly realize that there are so many factors, call them protective factors, as well as risk factors. And all of these come into play in the formation of a human being. I grew up in a working poor family. And so as much as, you know, we were Italians, so my parents are both um, Italian immigrants, came to Canada when they were very young, actually 19 and 18. My dad was 18. Um, and so growing up in a household where my parents worked, where we had to have structure, organization, there was a great sense of priority. What was fundamentally important as a family, uh, gatherings around supper time was fundamentally important. There was no negotiations. Um, my dad worked night shifts, so that meant that he had to get out much sooner, so supper took place. Well, we had supper, he had breakfast, and then he was off to work. And, you know, weekends were spent um, so much fun, so much laughter. There was so much laughter. And, you know, my parents, both of them, very different characters. My, I guess most Italians would probably be surprised to hear me say this, but my dad was very loving probably what you would find in an Italian household is the mom being very loving. My dad was very loving, uh, very nurturing, whereas my mom was more of the disciplinary one. And, uh, you know, you kind of had to walk a straight line with her. But nonetheless, I think what this made um, was a household where there was negotiations, right? So we were negotiating as children. Um, There was a lot of listening, Uh, quite a bit of um, encouragement to to stand up um, and and say what was on our minds, even though we knew we might be upsetting the more disciplinary parent. We we still had the encouragement, obviously, from my father, 
who was a lot more willing to be challenged. Um, and so these types of conversations took place at a very, very young age. So maybe it was a combination of knowing that in my family, being able to create your choices was part of what I intuitively felt was important. Mm -hmm. So that was part of the upbringing. And, and then, of course, um, there's a whole debate in psychology, and it's a debate in many other fields, including sociology, um, how much of it is nurture, how much of it is nature. I tend to fall somewhere in between. I also tend to be the type of psychologist that says, okay, so this is what your upbringing was. This is where you find yourself today. These are the issues you find yourself struggling with. And now what? The art of noticing our behaviors in the world of five senses, that's the world that I see, hear, think, smell, and, and touch, is so powerful that the minute you start to notice the actions you take, you then are able to better appreciate what are the motivators behind those behaviors. And so once you notice those, then you have choice. Mm -hmm. And it's often challenging for people to even get into the practice of noticing, mm -hmm. noticing what are they doing, noticing where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. I had a sense when you were talking about your childhood and family and you were saying we had practice of negotiation at home. And I felt that your adult uh, ego was developed or you had the possibility to work and uh, develop that side of yours quite early in your life. Whereas lots of us you know, navigate from this, you know, <laughs> now we are going to technicalities, like the child and parent. And I felt that you had this uh, space. And I heard you saying also there was this trust in your choices. Like your mother said, she's fine. She will be fine. Um, so I think when we are adults, we can give ourselves this space and trust and test and develop our muscles of negotiating different options for ourselves and see how this results and then choose differently. Right. I, I'm also, um, I have a sense that if we were to integrate more of the sort of design thinking in our lives where we are prototyping, right? So we prototype different selves, prototype ourselves um, doing this kind of work and prototype ourselves doing this kind of work and prototyping ourselves doing this kind of work and then actually giving ourselves permission to live that prototype for a week or two and, and start to really recognize how does this feel? Does this is this the person that I want to be? And then put that aside and then prototype the next one and say, okay, now is this the person that I want to be? And, and jot that down in dialogue. And, you know, I'm a big believer of, of um, diary and keeping a diary on what that feels like. And then you prototype the third. Now you've got kind of like your own inventory of possibilities and then make a choice. And, and you know, that doesn't take anything away from where you are today. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to make a drastic change. You just have to uh, carefully plan out your prototype. And, and that could easily mean, for instance, um, spending time with people that are in that field. And, and when you are with them, kind of purposely say to yourself, I'm part of that group. What does that feel like being part of this group? You know, I, I remember, and if I may share, I remember a coaching client who 
was so tired of being in IT and wondered what it would feel like to be more of the business development side, right? And what that would feel like. And she, you know, she said to me, you know, I, I think they're having a, they seem to be having a lot more enjoyment. And I wonder if I can um, be good as a salesperson. And so she wasn't about to quit her IT job. And so we prototyped, right? She designed what she would look like as a business development person, what, what would be the kind of language she'd feel comfortable with. She did some research. And then what she did is she found colleagues that were in that field. She wasn't prepared to work with colleagues inside of com- her company. Not a problem. She went out. She found business development people in other, in other companies, got together with them, even attended a show, you know, for, for a couple of weeks. Outside of her job, she kind of put herself into this other world. And, and so that was just one prototype. And she wasn't prepared to do a second or a third, which was fine. And that allowed her to experience, allowed her to experiment without taking much risk. And, you know, what was interesting about this is by her experiencing this part, by her experimenting here. Oh, yeah. And I think she also went so far as to spend her weekends helping a friend of hers build her business. And so she asked her friend if she could be the person making the calls and so forth. And what was interesting, after a couple of months of doing that, she realized that she really doesn't like being a business development person. <laughs> Good to see that I'll change. So, you know, that didn't solve her dilemma of not feeling good anymore as an IT uh, expert, but at least she knew that that wasn't where she needed to go, right? Yeah, that's a wonderful yeah. story. And how about you? Did you always have a sense that you would do something with uh, psychology? Oh, you know, uh, you know, I, if you were going to ask me, Morella, did you ever have a sense that you would be a certified coach? I would tell you, oh, no, absolutely not. I think this was a accidental career. Um, serendipitous encounters led me down this path because in my earlier years, as I mentioned, I had a very, you know, disciplinary parent, um, mom, and my dad was very loving and, and very um, welcoming of being challenged. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to go into the arts. I wanted to be a makeup artistry and hairdresser and wanted to work behind the scenes, cinema and theater and and just make the actors look incredible, right? So I actually did that when I finished high school to my mom's incredible disapproval. I went to hairdressing school and I remember my mom showing up at my high school wanting to speak to my counselor saying, you know, you got to fix my daughter. She's got the grades to go to university. What is she doing? You know, typical, you know, typical immigrant Italian family. What were the choices back then? You know, you either become a doctor, an accountant, a lawyer. Um, So here she is wanting to go into hairdressing. And I did that. I did hairdressing for a while and I just wasn't quite sure. And then as, you know, bad luck would have it, our family uh, experienced a tremendous uh, tragedy, had me questioning my choice And I remember one morning, you know, getting up and saying, dad, I'm going back to school. You're going back to school. What happened to your dream? What happened to wanting to go to New York and completing your, your mission and everything you set out to do? And I just, I just didn't feel it anymore. And maybe that was the first time I experienced, you know, um, dialoguing with a different voice, a voice that was saying, 
um, no, this is not the path for you. You got to go somewhere else. And I was young. I was 19 at the time, heading back to school. So here in Canada, you finish high school at 16. And the typical path is you go to college for two years, and then you head over to university. So by then, most of my friends had moved on. And I was going, I was going back to school. And so I did. And I chose at the time to take accounting. Oh, I hated accounting. So I very quickly shifted out of accounting, went to psychology. And I honestly uh, found myself and I never looked back. I did my, you know, went, did my bachelor's in honor psychology, did my PhD in psychology. And then when it was time to do my postdoc, I decided to do in behavioral medicine. It's kind of study the um, the biopsychosocial functioning of children with chronic disease. And so my path then became, and I never looked back. So I remember the day, I still remember it as though it happened yesterday, sitting at the tip of my bed, being very perplexed, not knowing how come this whole dream of mine was no longer feeling comfortable. Certainly tragedy had a lot to do with that. And just telling my dad, I'm going back to school. And I still remember walking through the you know the the doors of this college and feeling as though that's where I belonged Mm -hmm. and so that familiarity with the feeling of knowing how to dialogue with the part of you that says you don't belong here anymore you got to go somewhere else has been with me and I've experienced that moment um two more times and I'm pretty sure it's going to show up again in the future. I'm curious about what was that feeling that you could locate that told you that's not what I want to do anymore because as you said in the beginning I think a lot of people either don't allow themselves to say it out loud that way or they don't recognize that it's not working anymore. Maybe they are not in touch with how it feels. Uh, So I'm curious about your experience, how you could feel it for yourself. Yes, of course. And and I have a sense because it has happened to me. And so I'm not going to definitely not generalize to others. I think the feeling shows up differently depending on how old you are, right? So I have to say that being 19 and having had that moment of you know this isn't for you you must you know you you got you have to go back to school and I didn't know what I was going back to school for I just knew I had to register and as I mentioned the first course I registered was accounting did really well but just you know I said oh my god I didn't come back for this like what is this so the one thing that I learned as a very young person was to constantly monitor this this inside voice and today there's so much out there you know so much great books on consciousness and how there is this inner voice and if you've never asked yourself where is this inner voice coming from then that's a whole area of discovery that I encourage all of your listeners to go ahead and read you know the nature of the mind and and how awareness is formed but I've always had this this voice right and I've always learned at a very young age how to dialogue with it. So when it showed up, and the, the truth is the tragedy was my brother was actually killed in a car accident maybe a week before starting his last year of high school. And we were, quote unquote, as the saying goes, Irish twins. We were 11 months apart. I, I don't think there's an adolescent 
for that matter, or any of us when we were younger, that we would even question our mortality, right? So here I was questioning my mortality. Why him? Why not me? And if I'm still alive, what does this mean? And can I be as carefree or as I want to be? So that got me questioning that way. And the feeling of, no, that's not where you need to go. This is where you need to be was very strong. And so I recognized it and I, and I, I had a trust, the trusting of moving forward to what I wasn't sure, but I knew I moved forward. And the other thing I want people to realize is sometimes the moving forward is not going to be perfect, right? In my case, that age, I moved forward with a course in accounting. It wasn't perfect, but I still went for it, right? I didn't question, you know, does it have to have, there's no such thing as perfection in our world. So choices are never going to be perfect. And so it wasn't perfect, right? I, I finished the course and I hated the course, but I learned something. I didn't like accounting. Great. Now what? And that's the other type of way of questioning. Okay, great. You discover you don't like something. Now what? And, and wait, the answer will come. And so I registered for psychology. And um, very, very vivid moments. One wonderful teacher sitting on, on a table. She looked, you know, she was in her meditative state more often than not teaching <laughs> teaching to, to a class of 60 students on different areas and bodies of psychology. And that was just, wow, wow, mind-blowing. And I never looked back. I, this was it. And as I mentioned before, I then found myself once again, right? The feeling shows up and here I am now, much older. And this is the comment about, I think it shows up differently at different ages. And now I'm in my postdoc. I'm about to finish my postdoc. And now I'm, how old was I? I was 35. And I've got a child now. And I've got responsibilities. And here I am having spent so many years, right? Age of 19, all the way to 35 in academia, preparing for an academic career. And having had tremendous success, you know, my publishing record was strong. I had great supporters. I had a wonderful mentor, uh, Dr. Patricia Dobkin, who today I still stay incredibly close with her. Um, everyone was ready to help me position into an academic position. And lo and behold, once again, oh no, this is not where you belong. And I thought I was going to just have a heart attack and die. Like this time, it wasn't the same as a 19-year-old, right? Now I've got responsibilities. And I remember that moment, unlike at the age of 19. You know, at the age of 19, it showed up more of as a, as a moment of discovery. Now it was a moment of fear. Oh my God, that fear was so real. And, and that's the part I now know what most of my clients, as well as you just mentioned, and potentially some listeners feel, is fear. If I no longer feel like I belong here, oh my God, where do I belong? You know, I'm not a teen anymore. I'm not in my 20s. I'm in my 30s. And I think what ends up happening when we fear, and this is not just what I think, it's based on science, is when we start to question, oh my God, oh my God, why now? it kind of alerts a different section of our brain that then starts to create a storyline that gets us stuck. You're too old. Imagine that at 35, you're too old. That's crazy thought, crazy thinking, right? Um, oh my God, you've got so many responsibilities. You can't do this. You're being irresponsible. And look at all the people that 
you know, um, had your back all these years. And the next thing you know, that part of our brain starts to form a storyline that gets us even more stuck. I'm no different. That happened. And I did what I knew best. I started to dialogue and I took a piece of paper, drew a line in the middle of my sheet. And I, you know, I entitled fear me, me fear. You know, every time the fear would say something like you're too old. And, and then I had on the other side, I said, me, me, that's me that I know has existed across all times. Right. And so I said, so what? And then, you know, me fear said, well, no, you can't, you've got a young daughter and you know, you're married now. And then the other side of me said, yes, I do have a young daughter. And should I not be teaching her that she has a right to choose her destiny? And then, you know, so I went back and forth, back and forth. And so I learned how to dialogue with this fear. And, and I write about some of this in my book. And I think the, the part where everything just came to a halt was when I found myself writing the fear of staying in academia. Academia was so far greater than the fear of going. And going to what? I had no clue. But that fear felt a lot more comfortable. And, and so I knew I had to go. But go where? And so the human part of all of us says, but I've got no other skills. I mean, this is all I know. Uh, I'm an academic. I, I've got no other skills. And that's so not true. You know, today when I work with clients who are in career transition, they show up and they're like, this is all I've got. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. In paper, it looks like this is all you've got because words could actually be deceiving. You need to be very descriptive of your competencies. But let's take a look at where can you use your competencies? What else can these competencies be used for. And I mean, your world opens up, right? So when I made a list of what can an academic student in psychology and in medicine do, I mean, my list was huge. It really was. I, I, I remember writing, it was a full page of the things that I could do. And, you know, as I said to you before, this was a serendipitous career, an accidental career, because nothing of this was planned. I did what came natural. If this is all my skills, then I should then, you know, um, take a course in the ethics of clinical practice. Let's go. And that's what I did. And in that clinical practice ethics course, here was, uh, you know, a, a woman that would later become a colleague of mine talking about management consulting. Oh, I had no clue that a field like that even existed. <laughs> that's amazing. And, and hearing her talk, I'm thinking, oh, wait, wait, you know, your list competencies. Yeah, I think I can do that job. I think I can. And so I applied, you know, again, you have to have courage, right? So we go back to prototyping, right? And so I had already prototyped the unknown and I saw, oh, well, it won't hurt. Let me ask her, is her company hiring? You know, a serendipitous encounter led to, yeah, sure, we are hiring in Montreal and you may want to submit your, your, your resume. And I did, and I got the job. <laughs> so it was consulting. It was consulting. They hired me to do assessments and leadership. And I started with that and kept an open mind, um, spoke to the different colleagues. And so now I had a much bigger platform to prototype. So now I started to prototype. What if I were to do assessments in leadership? Would that feel good? 
And then I learned by speaking to colleagues that there's coaching. Oh, what's that all about? And prototyped myself there. And so then I had a much more vast platform to start prototyping. And I never went back to academia. I took the leap. Um, some people would say, cut your losses. I don't see it that way. I didn't have to cut any losses because everything I achieved in academia, I took with me. That is, I think, a lot similar to some other stories I heard in the way that you learned about a profession through another person that you met. Because right. usually we make our decisions based on what we know and what we know is not what everything exists in the world. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I still think that your curiosity, your ability to connect with others contributed to that. And I see that as an important skill to develop probably, to be curious, to be exploratory, to be in touch with people. And also what you told me, once you got the consulting job, you didn't say, let's just relax. And now that I have a job, you still were prototyping. And it's yes. like you always go for, like, how can I do things differently? How does it feel like? Can I test this? You have a way of... Um, I think exploration is the right word. How would you put it? I think so. It is a beautiful word. I guess when one is in a state of exploring and in a state of imagining, you know, what that would look like. You know, as I heard her speaking in my head, I was prototyping saying, huh, what would I sound like in that particular position? Oh, that's interesting, right? And she was speaking about, obviously, she was a management consultant. And she was talking about, and this was, after all, the ethics of psychology. And she was herself a psychologist working as a management consulting. And she's talking about a client and a huge issue. And meanwhile, as she's speaking, I'm prototyping myself in that role saying, wow, I know exactly how to help this this client. And so I was getting excited because I was, I had no idea what a management consultant does. I just knew the skills that I had, I could easily transfer and easily help. And I want to also say that part of the exploring, part of the imagination does not come without moments of doubt, right? And the way I've come to see it is even though there was a part of me that said, oh my God, she's going to think um, that you're silly with your question. She's going to think that you're not smart with your question. Even though there was a part of me that said, oh my God, Morella, don't bother her. I still went and asked my question. I, I believe it's important for listeners to know that nothing we do in life is going to be without some form of questioning, whether it's doubt, whether it's a sense of, oh, I don't think I'm good enough. Oh, I don't think the person will respond to me and they're too busy. I think that stuff shows up anyways. And I've learned to just do it. What is the worst that can happen? In my situation, the worst that could have happened, she would have said, I don't have time for you. That's okay. Right? And then the next question would have been, when do you have time? And sometimes I think we don't push it. We tend to think that another human being is a machine. They're not machines. They're, they're just another human being. And so when we push it, what's the worst that can happen? I've got no time. Okay. So then you ask, well, then who does have time to answer this question for me? You know, we sort of stop midway and we kind of turn around and walk away. And, and I often have been a big believer to just keep pushing 
I, I certainly didn't burn in my chair. I mean, I'm still alive, right? I'm still here. And I've had, and I've had people answer me this way. You know, I don't have time. And I say, well, when? Why? Well, no, I just don't have time for this kind of stuff. Well, then who does? Oh, I can, well, I could find a colleague for you. Will you? Um, here's my number. I've gone all the way and, and, I'm, and I'm proof that I haven't burned, right? I've never been fired <laughs> in asking this kind of question. I've had to. You, you continue until you finally arrive at a place where you say, okay, now I've got my answers. Now I have to make a choice. Yeah, I love the questions. I was thinking about that. I think there is a bit of non-attachment to how you would be perceived. A lot of us are too much attached to this, how the other person will think of me. And uh, I shouldn't make them think that. So I will just live with my misery (laughs) internally. uh, But outside, I am perceived as how I want to be perceived so I think from what you said you didn't have that or you developed letting go of that more and more I did and I'm not quite sure the process what I do know is that along the way I have chosen what I water in myself and I do believe that we water we water seeds you know in psychology you can refer to that as beliefs And the more you repeat these beliefs and the more you align your life to fit these beliefs, well, then those beliefs just get stronger. In in, uh, Buddhist psychology, we talk about seeds and, you know, seeds of fear, anger, concern, doubt, exploration, discovery. And so I know for sure that I've always made it purposeful. Even as I stand here today speaking to you, actually sit here today speaking to you, I do remember uh, looking at that management consultant and having the same kind of questions that most of your listeners would have with, what is she going to think of me? And so I then said, oh, wait, if you go there, Morella, you're going to be watering the seed of doubt and you're never going to get up from your chair. Mm. What do you want to water right now? Mm. Discovery. Okay. And what should you be doing? Get up. Go now. I think... The more we become aware of what we are telling ourselves, the more we are able to choose. What are you watering? And and the whole notion of, oh, I better not say anything because I'd rather preserve um, the person that I think I am. That's a choice, right? Um, That's a choice. Whereas in my earlier days as a coach, I probably used to not engage a lot more with my clients around this form of thinking where they were stuck, right? I I so much wanted for them to get unstuck that I would engage. It was almost like a battle, me and their irrational beliefs. And it just didn't work. It just didn't work. And today I'm more inclined not to battle with their irrational beliefs, but rather to dance. And so I I get them to come up with as many things that they're saying and call it whatever you want. One client said to me, this is crazy talk. I'm like, okay, if that's what you want to call it, let's hear it. Another one would say, oh, this is, uh, you know, this is such uh, infantile talk. Oh, okay. You're giving it that word. Okay. Well, let's bring it up. What does it sound like? And I think the practice of becoming more familiar 
with what we are telling ourselves is probably part of the practice of getting unstuck. But I am also learning a lot about Buddhism and uh, meditation and uh, the, how mind works. And um, so there's this notion of drop the story. And um, so I can relate to what you say. And coming from that perspective and also like you are a coach and you work with goals and vision. And I believe like when you told about, I was prototyping myself how I would be when I am in that position. So I personally have a bit of challenge being open for whatever comes and being open to possibilities and not holding on to anything. I feel I connect to that notion. But then when we come to envisioning and having a clear goal, then it feels to me that takes, so it kind of creates a certain attachment. So how do you find yourself between these two poles? Because we are working with vision and goals, uh, but at the same time, we also don't want to create like strict attachments to anything. So how, how do you explore these two notions? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're so right. Because on the one hand, you want the client and certainly ourselves as well to form that vision of themselves and, and to plan what that would look like and to make goals around that. And at the same time, if that were to be so strong, then they're going to stop right envisioning and stop planning. Very difficult to explain other than to say it's a constant reminder you know, when I'm working with a client, it's a constant reminder that that is just one way. There's nothing about the way. Even after I got into management consulting and worked for this management consulting firm, it was it never was the way. And, and I very quickly, maybe three years later, I once again found myself with that saying, well, nah, not here, Marella, you got to go. Go where? Where am I going now, right? So if I had been stuck with that's it, this is it, and it really focused on that vision and stayed true to that vision forever, then I think I'd be going against what human beings are all about, right? We are about growth and we are about change. And I certainly am not the same person today as I was yesterday. Um, you and I are probably not the same people we were when we started this podcast, just because we've been sharing and I've been taking in from you and you the same. And so the whole notion of securing oneself with one's vision is great. However, there is also a cautionary note here. It's not forever. And I find that a lot of times clients want things to stay forever, right? How many, how many, right? Just between you and I, we could probably count the number of consultants out there who are specializing in change management. Because people have such a hard time when things change. Because not only did they prototype themselves, they now chose never to prototype again. And now all of a sudden, the company is asking them, uh-uh, I need you to give up this role because I've got something else to do for you. <laughs> and so it becomes a challenge. I believe that, yes, we have to form a vision. We have to realize that there is steps to becoming that. And at the same time, caution, the attachment cannot be greater. And here's the thing, right? Greater than attachment to a life that is 
constantly evolving. And that to me is a far more fundamentally important, call it way of being, than just, you know, that. So today I sit here with you and I've prototyped myself into being the president of Papian MDC, the founder of GHI. That's a prototype, but I'm not attached to any of these. I'm attached to the ever evolving me um, and ready to figure out what becomes of me later. This is not the end. I'm not going to sit here and be in these two positions forever. And, and, I, and I have a sense that that brings a lot of freedom. But with it comes also, again, you know, the fear of, oh, you're not steady. Oh, you're not stable. Who on earth would want to work for you if you're not stable? And that is my mind. Here's, here's a great word, crazy talk. Because <laughs> if, <laughs> if, you, you know, if you've been following this podcast and what we've been talking about, you never want to work for anyone that has prototyped themselves in that one position, because that means that they are not ready to let go of that position. And if they're not ready to let go of that position, then there's no succession. That's awful for any company. Oh, man, that's wonderful. I love how you say crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> so one question I had is your practice of keeping yourself open and um, being aware of your own thoughts so what are your regular practices and the other thing I want to ask you later is that what else do you want to share before I <laughs> bring us to a closure so that I don't want anything valuable that wants to be expressed from you missed so what is my practice so I am I've been meditating since the age of 19 absolutely not. My meditation is not perfect. I don't ever aim for perfection. There are good days and there are bad days. For me, the good days are when I'm able and I know the feeling when I'm truly able to free my mind of all thoughts and it is possible. And then there are bad days where regardless of how often I tell myself, focus on your breath, get back to your breath. My, my, my brain has a different, um, has made a different choice that day. And and so once again, you know, I, I'm not attached to my meditation. The day I become attached to my meditation is potentially the day I let go of it. Mm. So it's very, very important. So I do that. I also write a lot. I'm a big believer of dialoguing with oneself. And so that practice that I did trying to figure out how come academia wasn't for me and, you know, kind of put a, a line down my piece of white paper and say, okay, fear me and me, me. I do that often. I still do that today. And I find that it, it relieves quite a bit. I often can find myself laughing hysterically all by myself because crazy, you know, crazy talk. And so that I, I find to be quite uplifting. And it, it, it reminds me again, that this is a life um, that is made of your consciousness. And I believe that consciousness creates life. I'm a fundamental believer in that. Um, if I can go back and start my career all over again, I'd probably be studying biology and consciousness. That's probably where I would be. So um, that's part of my practice. The other part of my practice is I really do aim every single day to do something that makes me uncomfortable, whether it is asking one of my employees for something uh, to do for me, uh, whether it is reading a book that uh, espouses very radical views 
that I don't agree with, I find that that challenges me. It reminds me to keep an open mind. Um, whether it is saying no to a client um, and recognizing that when I'm saying no to something, I'm saying yes to something else. So I, I, I have that ongoing. Yeah, we learned a lot from you. I mean, I learned a lot from you today and I'm sure people listening will also learn a lot. There were also practical exercises that we can copy from you. So that was very generous of you having shared uh, with us everything. I I, I felt like you were open and I felt very um, close to you. Thank you so much for being yourself. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to speak to you. Your questions have brought such uh, incredible moments of learning for me as well. And I'm so grateful our paths crossed. And yeah. I certainly look forward to uh, following you and your journey as you further your own journey as a coach. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy. Um, regarding... I don't know, your future projects, anything that we can look out for or how we can connect with you, anyone who wants to work with you, know more about you, how we can direct them. Absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Papillon MDC. That's Papillon, uh, French for butterfly, Papillon MDC and Grand Heron International. You can follow us on all social media platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are always posting uh, very interesting moments and insights, including videos. The most recent one that I believe is up is a very small, short snippet of me um, giving a talk on mentoring, I guess, interesting topic. (laughs) Uh, And so that's up. And obviously, I'm, I'm available to anyone. You can always reach me. My email is also part of our website. So you can very easily download it and um, follow. Yeah. yeah. I would definitely put this uh, on my blog under the show notes. And uh, would we give, I mean, t- tell about your upcoming projects? Would you like to share yes. a few nuggets? Yes, for sure, for sure, for sure. So I am uh, working on one book and there's another one in the far, far future, close future, I guess, in the fall that I will be looking at. Um, this one that I'm working on is all about conversations and it's, it kind of laps overlaps with some of the things we just shared, which is about conversations, um, learning how to dialogue with yourself as a coach. And as well, I I think the book is going to serve coaches as well as Mm -hmm. non-coaches. It's going to serve teachers. It can serve mentors. It can actually serve mom and dad. It can actually serve anyone interested in improving conversations. I believe that conversations can be therapeutic. So hint, hint, title of the book. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, so um, that is in the works. That's what I'm working on. And then in the very near future, the second book is part of exploring the psychology of bad leadership. Oh. Um, I recently spoke about that in a totally different podcast on that area of psychology that fascinates me and so these are the two things that i'm working on as we speak that's great i especially never have heard anyone saying bad leadership versus it's always like how to be a good leader yeah yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> That's so yeah. curious. All right, so I will be looking forward to reading your books. And once it's out, maybe we can share it on the platform. Absolutely. Be more than happy to. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, your words, your presence. Thank you. Thank you to you. And thank you to all your listeners. I wish everyone uh, a wonderful journey ahead. In the 17th episode of Unique Careers, Unique Lives, my guest was Mirella de Civita. I enjoyed our conversation so much and learned so much from her. What stayed with me most was that we can approach our lives as something unfinished and always stay curious about what is next. If we could listen to our inner voices, we might hear that there is a new direction, a new guidance coming from inside us. And sometimes this guidance can be scary because we would need to leave something we thought we would stick to for a longer time. And when this guidance comes, and sometimes it might come as after being stuck for a long time, we just have to be patient in this case to to give it enough time till this voice emerges. And when this voice emerges that there is something new, that's not it, there is a new path for us, then it might be the time to prototype. That's what Mirella told in this episode. She talked about her own prototyping her own career and how she also helped her clients, her coaches, to prototype uh, their careers. It was a wonderful conversation where Mirella shared her own experience and her knowledge and I hope you will also enjoy it as much as I did. If you like to read about my commentary on it and if you want to get the contact details of Mirella, please check the episode notes on Unique Careers, Unique Lives website. It's uniquecareersuniquelives.com. I'm speaking to you from the times of coronavirus. I don't know when you will listen to it, but right now a lot of us are challenged and change and challenge is part of our lives. I hope you give yourself the mind space and time space to be with what is. Use your inner dialogue to understand your mind and activate your wise self so that you can take responsibility on your own life, on your state of mind and choose a different path and prototype your life to a new direction. I'm sending you all the love and energy and hope to talk to you in the next episode. Take care.